All right. So today we welcome uh, Scott Taylor, who is an old friend and a former congressman from Newport News and a Navy SEAL. Scott, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So let's begin with with uh, how you got involved with the operation to help these people uh, get extracted from Afghanistan. Sure. So um, initially, when this when this first came about, you know, it kind of took me by surprise, like it did everybody else. Um, and so we, Robert Strick, who's a friend of mine, is in D.C. I guess they, they call him sort of a fixer. He called me because they were uh, needed some some help and connections to get a, a flight, get some people out. And um, which which happened prior to, you know, the, every, the shit hitting the fan, quite frankly, and uh, and everything getting shut down, private flights getting shut down, all that all that stuff. So initially it was very right, right in the very beginning. Um, I started getting involved and then, you know, we said maybe we should try to help more people. So I said I put like a little message on my, on my LinkedIn account and said, um, you know, there's some private air that's going to and fro Afghanistan. If someone needs help, send me a message. That turned into thousands, literally thousands of messages. And I had to call two, two folks from my campaign to do nothing but answer questions, get information on American citizens and visa holders and stuff like that. And then push information out, too, as we had it. Um, to help to help them out. So, it, and then I know you're gonna you have more questions, and that it just morphed into so much more over the past few weeks. So you just came back because you were in the region over there. What did you see when you were on the ground? Well, I wasn't I wasn't in the ground seeing anything. So I mean, I was in I was in, in the region on the same time zone and and um, and sort of coordinating things from from where I was. So um, it would be disingenuous for me to say I saw anything on the ground because you know that's not, that's not the case. Um, okay. You know, we had no intention of getting so involved as we did. It just kind of, you know, when you see American citizens who are in need and and, and our allies and stuff like that, and you have capabilities. And for me personally, I'm you know the network, obviously, in the so in the special operations community, but also all the way to the White House. So it had this sort of unique ability to put people together and get things done. So, what was the situation presented to you three weeks ago? That the that that you and your you know other military guys you know retired military decided to jump in. I mean, why were you so needed? Because you would think that the U.S. government would have this under control. Well, I think you know, uh, and sorry if you hear my dog in the background. I was just trying to th- give me a take around. <laughs> um, but the you you know you don't have to be a military person to to have a little bit of common sense and say okay. If we're going to evacuate, you don't get rid of airports, Bagram. You don't get rid of uh, ports. You don't. You don't leave safe corridor, safe passage between the city and the airports. You keep that security. You move your people out. You know the civilians and workers and stuff like that and allies. And then the military falls back and, and leaves. That's simple. It's that simple. The exact opposite happened. Um, so when when this first came about, we we realized very quickly that the need was insane and far outstripped you know, our capabilities to, to be able to help out and certainly outstrip our U.S. military, which is why, of course, they, they, they had to bring more troops in um, just to keep just to keep the Kabul airport. Right. Uh, Hamid Karzai airport. Um, this was very flawed from, from the very beginning. And um, I mean, we were talking to companies who had 200, 300, 500 people um, that were there. And, you know, when you when you hear the State Department um, now and Blinken, they'll say, well, the you know, the American citizens, we've been sending messages out for months. That's half true, right? And anyone who's ever worked in environments like this, semi-permissive, non-permissive environments, they all, they, those messages come out all the time. Don't travel to this country. 
if you're right. an American citizen, get the hell out of here, right? That's that's normal. But those messages aren't for people who are working directly for the U.S. government, people who are working uh, indirectly for the U.S. government via contractors. And there were tons of companies that we talked to who were completely blindsided by this because they're not looking at those normal American citizen messages. That's not for them, right? And there was zero coordination amongst allies, amongst American citizens that are that were there uh, working directly or indirectly for the government. And so we, we, we realized very quickly that there was going to be a massive need here. And, um, and we, we certainly wouldn't be able to fulfill it. And, and fortunately, a lot of people did step up to try to do what they could. So you and I talked on the phone and we were, we were taught, you brought up to me, and I think it's important for the public to understand, there is, there is such a thing as military doctrine that you follow going into a country, coming out of a country, coming out of a war zone, um, you know, creating a surge for military presence in a, in a part of the world. And from your experience as a Navy SEAL and also from somebody who served in Congress, when you first saw this, you know, give, give the audience some sense about there are certain rules of engagement that you follow. Well, as we said early on in the interview, it's um, it doesn't take a lot of common sense to understand. Sorry, my dog. Uh, the uh, it doesn't take a lot of common sense to understand. Look, you keep you keep security, you keep ports of entry and borders and airports if you can, if you have them, and then you get your people out, and then the military pulls back up and out. Right? Military. Anyone who's been in the military is under, understands when whether you're retreating or evacuating or leaving an area, whatever you want to call it. It's very, you're very vulnerable. What's going on? Sorry. Uh, it's, it's very vulnerable and very right. dangerous. And, and, that, and that's when you actually have to have much higher heightened sense of awareness when, when you're leaving an area. So the notion that, and this is, this is still baffles me to this day, that, that someone in, in very high ranking joint chiefs or, or secretary of defense didn't, when they're in the meeting with the White House, when they're making this decision, and I understand they were probably given a framework. They're probably like, okay. This is what you got. These are the number of troops that you have. We're out of here by August 31st. What, what are the options with what we have? Someone, someone should have said, Mr. President, with all due respect, this is, uh, this is not realistic. People are going to die. People are going to get hurt. We're, we're not going to be able to achieve our objective that you want with this amount of troops uh, at, by this deadline. And as you saw, they had to increase the troop presence, as sometimes you do have to surge a presence to be able to help you pull out uh, safely. And so right. it's to this day, no one's resigned. And, and, and uh, it really is baffling to me uh, from a military background to being like someone should, some, someone who knew better, who has been taught in the best military schools this nation has to offer should have said, this is wrong and I'm not going along with it. Period. Do you uh, think this, do you think this was done on purpose? Uh, which, which thing? The, uh, the, I, uh, the, the, Turning over of billions of hardware, the loss of American credibility, the horrific evacuation. I, I hope mean, to God, I hope to God it wasn't. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it was giving away, the giving away of Bagram Air Base. I mean, go down the list. So you again, know? I think I think uh, to to give a little bit of latitude to some mm -hmm. military folks, I'm sure there was a political decision about troop levels. Yeah, I'm not I'm not talking about military rank and file. I'm talking about from the top. But go ahead. Uh, as, yeah. as, as am I. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm, I'm not even, I haven't even be said anything about the rank and file yet. I'm talking yeah. specifically about stars. Yeah. Uh, it, the, the reality is, do I think this was probably a political decision that said, here's what we got. We're leaving by the 31st. 
this is the troop level. What can I, what, what can I do with that? And what are we going to move forward? And, and that's what I'm arguing to you today, where I'm saying someone who knew better, Joint Chiefs, someone around that, the stars, the, the Secretary of Defense certainly should have been like, this is unrealistic. It's not right. We cannot do this uh, based on all their experience. But, you know, clearly you have, yeah. you have weak, weak leadership there, people who care more about their, their jobs than they do the safety, the security and the prestige of our country. And, you know, you mentioned the, the, the equipment being left behind. That's just part of it, you know. Um, but I, I still think that I just can't believe that someone hasn't resigned uh, and someone didn't resign when this was coming down, when they were given uh, when they when they were given the rank and file, as you said, a, mm-hmm. an unrealistic, you know, a, a, a goal and a job that they could not have achieved. Well, they left Bagram Air Base weeks ago. But, I, you know, that was intentional. But I'll, I'll get off that point. But go ahead. Oh, it, no, it was it was definitely intentional. No, no yeah. question about it. Uh, again, I, I go back to that political decision. We're out of here mm-hmm. by this time. This is how much troops you have in the country. What can you do? And and so mm-hmm. somebody told the president, some military person told the president, and it must be the Joint Chiefs and Secretary of Defense and somewhere around that level. And they said, uh, out of out of out of what you're giving us, we can keep – Hami Karzai Airport, we got to give up Bagram because we can't control it with the amount of troops that we have there. And that's that that obviously was a fatally flawed decision that someone should have stepped up and said, this is wrong. We have to keep Bagram. We've got to keep Hami Karzai. We have to keep the safety, um, the, 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 the safety corridor between the two of them so we can move people up and out of here. Uh, and that didn't happen. Yeah. So are you talking to, <clears throat> pardon me, are you talking to uh, members of Congress, co- co- you know, former colleagues of yours, and, and they expressed any opinion about what's going on on either the Democratic or Republican side of this? You know, uh, as what you would probably guess politically, uh, the Democrats are pretty quiet. Um, but certainly my, you know, old colleagues on the Republican side are like, absolutely, they're, you know, you can see it on everywhere. It's all, they're, they're public anyway. But I think uh, take away the politics there, there are people who, you know, like a like Liz Cheney, who's like, we got to have hearings. We have to understand what happened here with the decisions, the flawed decisions that went into this. We have to make sure that something like this never happens again. Uh, both, as you said, Todd, about leaving leaving all that equipment there, um, the intel reports, as well as the actual bump, the, you know, the bungled evacuation itself. Uh, which and, can- and I'll add to that the evacuation of tens of thousands of asylum seekers ahead of American citizens. Yeah. And, and those who had visas. Right. So American citizens, v- folks who had visas and they didn't even get a good amount of them. Right. Like they right. Really- my point. Yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah. So the so the <clears throat> the people who have contracts that have Americans working inside the country, I haven't seen and maybe it's just because I'm overloaded, too, but I have not seen any of those CEOs come out publicly and praise you guys for standing up and or, you know, and doing what you're trying to do. But I haven't seen any of those CEOs of those companies criticizing the administration for not giving them enough notice. Um, I, you know, I imagine that in time that will come. A lot of them are some of them. Some of them are still working out, trying to get their people out. Uh, some of them got a lot of their folks out. You have to also understand. I mean, that's you know, our, if you if you have a contract with the U.S. government <laughs> that puts bread on your table. And right. right on the table of all your employees, are you really going to come out and, and you know yell yell politically about it? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. It may not. It may not be the right time, but I, I sure hope that they in fact do. Well, so so what we talked about when you have congressional hearings or something like that, those folks should be subpoenaed hundred percent. You know, so that they understand. As I said, 
when you got Blinken saying on one hand, we, we gave all this, this warning, all the, and then you have a company that's got 500 people and 50 dogs, which is one of them, one of them that I talked to who can't, who had no idea about this, who has direct contracts with the U S government, zero idea about that. And they got stuck. They had the Taliban coming them telling they were spies and they had negotiated. They probably paid them a bunch of money to get the hell out of there. So I, I think people like that, whether they're going to stand up and you know get on the on the interview with you and say anything that, that that depends on their decision based on their livelihood, but I do think they should be subpoenaed at a minimum to so that they can give that, that information. Shush. Oh. <laughs> That's it's authentic. Okay. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell us about some of the some of the stories that you heard um, about people getting to to the uh, airport and being turned away because it's. Sure. it's me, some of the, what you said to me on the phone was pretty horrific. So I think, um, number one, I, I still get, I just got a message today. I, I, I still get on that LinkedIn message. It's not stopped. You know what I mean? Since, since the two, two or three weeks ago, I still get messages every day from people who are in hiding, who are asking for help with their families, their visa holders. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's quite frankly, it's tragic. You know, it's, it's, it's very sad, but some, at some point, and this is another thing that has, this has to come out right with in hearings. At, I don't think it was like this in the very beginning, but at some point there was a decision made in the administration at some level to not just coordinate because you hear that you hear the, what the administration is saying coordinate. We, we you know we didn't give kill list to anybody. We were just coordinating with the Taliban. Well, that's partly right. The reality is, at some point in the evacuation time frame, there were Taliban checkpoints outside of every gate at the airport, and those Taliban checkpoints essentially had a veto power over who left and who didn't. And I, and I was directly speaking to the, uh, one of the captains on the ground that was controlling the gate and one of our operations. And this is exactly what he said, because it, it, we, were, we were at the gate with these, this orchestra of um, almost 300 uh, music students that had been approved to go through. There was an arrow on the ground and they're 50 meters from the gate. You can see freedom. And I'm, I mean, I, that's when I got Liz Cheney and all these people involved, Tom Cotton, uh, Lindsey Graham. I talked to all of them, sent messages to the deputy national security advisor at the White House. Um, they were like, they're 50 meters from the gate. They're already approved. The Joint Chiefs, and we're going to get that in a second. Um, we'll get to that in a second. But so, the, so the, the captain came to me and he says, you know, I'm on WhatsApp and talking to him. Uh, and I'm sorry, it's been a little bit because I have to print out manifests. Think about that. Print out every manifest, State Department or DOD. And, he's, and this is what he says to me. We make it look professional. And I drive it to the Taliban gate. I drive it to the gate, and I have to negotiate with them to get approval to, to put, uh, have these people go through or not. Think about what I just said. The U.S. government, the U.S. military, has given power over to the Taliban at some point in this evacuation. I'm not sure what day that happened, when it happened, uh, to say yes or no for people that were leaving. So when you hear about American citizens saying, I'm holding my passport up, but I can't get through, that's probably true because either one, uh, they were not on a on a manifest on a you know a flight manifest because they didn't get get a hold of the right people or whatever. But they're not on a flight manifest, and or they weren't able to get through the Taliban gate. And so the coordination when you hear that we're coordinating with the Taliban, bullshit. It wasn't coordination. You gave them power. You gave them a veto over yes or no people coming through. And so when so for example in this operation when we moved. We finally got a hold of the, the folks on the gate, and they moved us to three different gates. Uh, this was mis miscommunication on their level. You know, I can, you know, I forget, I forgive that because it's just at a lower level. They were they were overwhelmed. 
with a unrealistic task that was given to them, the people that were on the ground, the mil military folks. So they screwed up and they had us at three different gates, which took hours, it was very dangerous because there was a credible VBID threat, vehicle improvised explosive device. And we're moving three, seven buses full of 300 girls, you know, like these students. And so explain, expl pardon me for interrupting, Scott, explain to, explain to the audience who these 300 girls are. So this was the, um, the, the, the Afghan National Institute of Music. So these are uh, world-class orchestra um, heads of states of other countries were involved with this. This was like a big, a uh, very high profile. Obviously, this is like what what light could have been in Afghanistan, which was became dark. They banned music immediately. These girls right. broke their instruments because they were, you know, to get rid of them, uh, to be scared because they were targets. Um, so we we're, you know, they again are already approved to go to Portugal, bird on the ground. All and and once we got people involved up to the White House. General Milley himself had said, I'm sending instructions. This is what he told Liz Cheney. I'm sending instructions to open the gate for them, to, you know, to get them out. And now, now keep in mind the, the, the military members on the gate, they're dealing with a lot, right? They're dealing with all different groups. This is around the last day, um, right before the last day when, when, when you know, and this is what I told the school a couple of days before, the U.S. military is going to seal this gate, these gates off, and then they're, they're out. You know, like they're, at one point they're going to seal the gates. They're going to have security as they leave, and there's going to be no more opportunities to, to, for people to get out, at least while you know in their evacuation. And so, so we we finally go to the last gate after they've sent us to three, and where there were, I mean, I don't know, a hundred hundred feet from the Taliban gate. And I'm talking to the to the military guy. I'm like, hey, what's what did you know, what do they need to tell the Taliban? They're sponsored by the U.S., sponsored by the U.K., all that. And he said, we have one more problem, sir. I said, what's that? He said, the Taliban have not given final approval yet. Hmm. Think, of, think about that for a second. We just spent hours, they spent hours negotiating with the Taliban first before they even called me or called us. And then we're you know, moving to the gates and we're here. Meanwhile, at this point, the girls have been on the bus for like 17 hours, something crazy. And they can see the gates. They're already approved. Everything's approved, except for the Taliban haven't approved them yet. How young are the girls that are that participate in this? Because I think you mentioned to me that I mean they 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 have played outside of Afghanistan as we all know. Yes. Uh, they're recognized by Juilliard. I mean these yeah. these are these are professional musicians. I don't know the I don't know the exact age, and I have a tendency mm -hmm. to say girls, which gets me in trouble politically. <laughs> and so I say guys and girls, like oh, what it's ladies, you know. Like, Sorry. Well, don't worry. I'm not worried about that. Political no. correctness doesn't sit well with me anyways. I'm just talking about the ages not, of these kids. I'm not sure exactly, but I, I assume many of them are not not adults yet, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, so anyways, gates closed. Gates closed. That's it. That's all she wrote. And uh, and then, you know, the military pulls out. So those, you know, they're not they're not gone yet. We're still doing things to try to help out to, to get them out. Um, but but I think in that whole story. The, the biggest highlight in my mind uh, is the fact that the U.S. government and someone made the decision to give that control over to the Taliban instead of us retaining that control, which, of course, 100 percent resulted in American citizens and folks with visas being left behind in Afghanistan. So I have a question. You just said something that was interesting to me. You said Millie gave authority. It's my understanding that he's a staff officer. How does he have line authority to Afghanistan? So, uh, I, look, I, I don't know who he told or where it, where it right. went, um, but I know that he told Liz Cheney that he was sending instructions down. I, I, from what I understand, General McKenzie 
was also briefed and everything was good to go that Donna, who you know about it, folks, mm -hmm. you know, as I said, I was talking to directly to the, the folks behind the gate. They all knew about it. So it mm -hmm. came, up, you know, to let these folks in, but they were overruled by the Taliban. <laughs> so, yeah, I get it. I'm just curious how Millie's involved. But, well, okay. To be honest with you, Todd, the details of where came the chain of command. I understand. That's fine. Important, right. You know, it came down from the top. Right. I wasn't able to get through because the Taliban hadn't approved got it. it. Got it. Do you know of any other stories like that, that when people got to the gate that they were turned away to at all? Scott? Tons of stories. Tons. There's, I mean, I, there was another congressman that was working with American citizens. Like 60 American citizens got to the gate and got turned away. Uh, tons throughout the throughout the, uh, the, the couple of weeks. I mean, that's that's one of the things that our our role sort of got. We were just helping anybody that we could. You know, DOD was asking for information from for uh, for U.S. citizens so they could identify them. I was sending them securely um, information that we had on American citizens. Um, you know, they, I think I told you that the U.S. The US Institute of Peace asked me to help um, speak to the Qataris at a high level to help get 300 and some of their people safely escorted from the city to the, to the airport. Um, there was, I can't even keep track of how many people reached out to us and who we helped out and the stories that we were hearing about people getting to the airport, getting to the gates, getting turned away, not being on a manifest or approved manifest um, and, and not getting through the Taliban gates. So whose responsibility was it if this was, if this was not a, such a disaster as this, which office is it? The State Department Refugee Office. I mean, so there was a there was a task force, State Department task force, um, as well as, um, and I, I assume they're under, under the same task force. But there was a, and I don't know, and to this day I don't know who was heading that up. Uh, and I don't know if that was, that. I don't know if that was by design. But I will tell you that not just myself or our group, but many groups were trying to get in touch with the task force, the State Department, the White House. I was speaking to the deputy national, deputy national, she's a game, the deputy NSC. And um, and he he was like, oh, I'm sending you to the task force. Never, not, not one so person. This, this is the guy who works with Sullivan. Finer, yeah, yeah. I mean, he- uh, Sending you to a task force. And is it like information at- State Department Task Force.org or something like that. I mean, did you have a name? No, he, that's what I'm saying. So he, him, and I were corresponding, and he yeah. was. I'm going to send your. I'm going to get the task force is going to get a hold of you. That never happened. You know, like no, I'm going to pass you the task force and get a hold of you. Nothing. And th through this whole couple of weeks, for various different things that we were trying to help out with, we were talking to state. You know, trying to get to, with State Department and trying to find decision makers. It was absolutely impossible. You know. The best thing that we were able to do was get uh, directly, and, and, and quite frankly, this, I think, because um, there's so many phone calls, I think the, the, the office that helped me get in touch with somebody on the ground was Tom Cotton's office, DOD. Uh, so I was on signal with th four different uh, folks that were on the ground, DOD, uh, inside, the, inside the airport. The head of air, uh, someone who was running the gates, someone below the one in the air, and then I think the number, maybe the number three or four in charge. So you were in touch with the Qataris, and um, my understanding is that they actually helped the U.S. government move some of the Americans out. And had they not been involved, maybe those Americans would not have, you know, gotten out of the country. I'll say this: you know, some some people have different opinions of of, of Qatar or UAE, whatever. I don't care. Qataris evacuated almost fifty thousand people, literally. So even when you hear the president, we evacuate all these people. Not without the Qataris, 
though they stepped up, they gave safe passage for tons of people from the city to the airport. That ambassador was personally escorting folks uh, and many of them American citizens. They used their C-17s, which they bought from us, to, to evacuate over 40,000 people to El Odeide. They Even to this day, they're dealing with, obviously, thousands of people who are in the country there, the process. And so look, I, the Qataris stepped up, in my opinion, more than almost any other country to, you know, to help us out. Uh, the Brits, the French, obviously, they were going in and getting their own people when we were not doing that, which is crazy to me. But um, but, but they were doing so. They so instead of instead of uh, French or British citizens staying in the airport and not being able to get through the Taliban checkpoints, their special forces were going to get their people and taking them through the Taliban checkpoints with their guns, right? And we didn't do that, which is insane to me. It's absolutely insane. Um, but the you- do you know if the if the if the Brits and the French and the Qataris got stopped by the Taliban at at the at their perimeter? I I don't know of any stories of the French or the Brits who went in to get their own citizens from from the city uh, getting stopped at the Taliban or not being not be, let me rephrase that I don't know of any I don't know of any stories of them not being able to get through the Taliban gates with their citizens that that may have happened but I didn't hear anything like that. The Qataris have a have a relationship, you know, obviously with the with right. the um, So they were able to get a ton of people through. I mean, they they really stepped up, really. So where do we go from here, and what's needed? What what does the public need to know um, beyond those stories? Other than, I mean, it was a major screw up. Um, you know, I, I just I just think that if you're if you're a journalist. Then you need to. So again, when the, when the, when the when they're saying where we coordinated with the Taliban, or we gave all this information for American citizens to leave, those are half truths, and and people should understand that that's not that's not actually not that's not true, right? Um, it, it's, it's it's half true. Um, there should be, in my opinion, there there should be congressional hearings, bipartisan, um, you know, to to get to the root of the decision making for this to figure out what the hell went wrong and like all around and, and then, and then bring that out and, and be reported on. I mean that like this, this was, I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, this is, that's not hyperbole. I, I'm, I'm really ashamed and I'm, I remain ashamed. And when I'm seeing these stories, because like you, like you said, there's still American citizens there. There's still, you know, thousands of, of visa holders that are that are there that can't get out. There are private flights right now that are supposed to get out, but the, but the State Department's not using their weight to help get landing rights in other countries. It's crazy. I mean, so it's, tell, it's, tell me why you think. Tell me why you think the State Department is doing what they're doing. Because to me, if you're <clears throat> by acts of omission or acts of commission, if you're not taking proactive steps to save Americans. And you're not asking for landing rights in regional countries around there. That, that's that's a red. That's a huge red flag. I mean, some of it's incompetence, right? Think about what I was just telling you. Like, I don't, I don't know if I said this or not, but when they had grounded all the private flights in the first few days, right? And and, and then the airport swelled because we were trying to get private charters in there. They grounded them, right? And then they the airport swelled to fifteen thousand people in the airport. Then I have and I have the signal messages. From the, from the DOD, desperate, can you get those charter flights? Please, we need those charter flights. We need it. We got we to get them to Islamabad to get out of here. But at this point, Doha was full, and, and, the, and, the, and the government had not, the State Department specifically, 
had not found other countries that were going to be willing to take evacuees. So well, number one, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> right? Like, what did you think right. was going to happen? Did you think right. that there was going to be a few hundred people that leave Afghanistan with the Taliban come back? I mean, it's crazy. So part of it is absolute incompetence. And then you have, and then you have some blame game and some folks, you know, trying to cover their own asses uh, for their own incompetence, quite frankly. So I think that, I think I don't, I lean towards that as opposed to something that's more sinister. Um, but, and, and it's I hope hard for me, it's hard for me to lean where you're leaning because, you know, if, if that's the case, that this is just bureau, bureaucratic incompetence. There's no question there was bureaucratic incompetence. Well, there, there's some of that, but there's also people who don't have the moral courage to stand up at the beginning of the decision and, and say basically, hey, this is this is not doable, folks. You heard you heard most me. importantly is you don't pull out unless you've got an exit plan to get Americans and the people that helped us for 20 years during the war, because everybody knows that when we pull out and the allies pull out, these people are sitting ducks. Well, you heard me go into depth about that. That that's hundred mm -hmm. percent. There was moral failure there, and one hundred percent. I I said you got me on tape saying that for about five minutes. Right. But but then then you also have utter incompetence in, in the White House, in the State Department, lack of communication between State Department and DoD, which is kind of happens fairly often. But um, I, I, and and now you have people that are they're covering up, and I, and I, I don't I, I think that. I, I really think there are a lot of folks who are so naive, they didn't understand what was coming, uh, that that was going to happen. But do I think it was sinister? Not necessarily. I think they I think that they knew that the Taliban were going to take over, as you see what's coming out with the phone calls with, with Biden and Ghani. Um, I, I think you saw that. I, I just think that they really believed in some very naive way they would be able to manage this and do it in a different way. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's embarrassing and it's a shame. It's, it's a stain on our country, no question about it. What about uh, you mentioned DOD, State Department? What about you, USAID? Did you see any communications or requests or demands or? Um, I mean, it's not really their role, you know, for the for the evacuation. But um, uh, I, I wasn't talking to anybody at USAID. I mean, I imagine they're somewhere in the mix somewhere, but really the lead is state and the executive branch and DOD. So. How how uh, much evidence did you see of uh, Blinken being in the room making the decisions? Um, I didn't. I personally didn't see any evidence of it. But um, I, when I when I look at Blinken, when I see him talk, uh, when I see what he's saying, he he's uh, this is. I don't. I mean this with as much respect as possible. He seems like a child to me in this conversation, with absolutely no idea of what to do, and in way over his head. What about Sullivan? I haven't really seen Sullivan. So, um, but you know, I, I only see Blinken, so I, I'm not really sure. But look. There's no question that everyone that was in the decision-making process uh, there, to include Sullivan, to include Blinken, to include Biden, uh, this was a this was a huge failure, absolute failure. Uh, there's no there's no way to sugarcoat it. I mean, there's there's really not. I mean, you still have tons of American citizens and visa holders that are there. You still have, as Todd pointed out, billions of dollars of equipment, tons of arms that, that that's that are still there. You had we at one point we had we had information because the um, the CIA was uh, also talking to us as well, and and I know this has been reported on, so I can say, you the, the Ministry of Interior in Afghanistan had a database, a biometric database of everyone in the in, in twenty years that had worked with the United States government, mm -hmm. and now the Taliban has it.
as part of there was one guy there was one guy that we were trying to get by the way the same during the same operation we were trying to get him through as well because he had he had a hard drive with him i don't know where the hell he is now i, I have no idea but clearly <laughs> the, the taliban was looking for that and they found they had other ones as well so there's there's so much failure here and incompetence and um anyone who is was in the decision making loop there need to be held accountable and and, and the information the real information with journalists like yourselves should should come out you know uh, it's not coordinating with the taliban it's right. not coordinating with american citizens to get them out that's all that's complete bs there was a absolute failure uh here and it's a it's a stain on our country what are you hearing about the fear on the ground now <clears throat> and the hunting for people that didn't make yeah, it scared you may read you a couple just a couple sure I'll just read you a couple of things. So, by the way, I'm, I'm like the most popular guy in Kabul. Somebody gave my personal phone out. Uh, and so I get WhatsApp messages all the time. Not, not, not just LinkedIn now. I get WhatsApp messages too. Here's one right here. Dear sir, please, re, please reread my message because he's already sent me like five. If you need any of my documents, I'll send you. We are in threat till now. I didn't spend one night in my home. Every night I changed my house. Please, we need your help. And uh, that, that, that's one. And I mean, I... Let's pull up some. It's it's crazy. I mean, they my phone was blown up with from from Afghan. Do you have Afghan. a staff? Do you have a staff to help you with this? I had uh, I, so we had I had I brought two people from my political campaign in to to do nothing mm -hmm. but get information from the LinkedIn uh, messages as well as push. You know, if we found humanitarian flights, uh, DOD flights, mm -hmm. um, or emails where SIV or, or uh, the other visa holders. Could could ask for requests, which we did. We push information out to to them, um, and then we had a we had sort of a, a uh, in Regulus Global. We had like they had a, a command center set up, right? We were trying to help run ops and with the charter stuff, and and then of course these uh, with the with the school. Right, here's one right here. I'm a widow with four children. The situation in Afghanistan is clear to you. Before coming Taliban, I worked to feed my children. Now I'm unemployed. I live in a rented house. Landlord's coming for rent. Our life situation is very bad. Please help. They're they're. Knocking, the Taliban are knocking on our door. I mean, it's over and over and over and over. You know, is what you, you hear these these uh, stories. And that and, that woman cannot walk outside today because she doesn't have a male escort to help her. That's right. That's right. Yeah. She can't go anywhere. You know, here, hi, Mr. Scott Taylor. My my family worked for government. My father used to be a, a general attorney. Sister was an employee in Parliament. Now they are in really in danger. They've hidden themselves from the insurgents. Last Thursday, I came to Germany. They they can't call you. I request uh, you to help them to be alive. And I, I get I get that all day long, every day since it started. My 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 two people that you said you know that they were helping on the LinkedIn messages. Uh, one of them, she told me she's like I'm I'm crying like every every ten minutes just looking at these these messages. And a lot of these folks are, as I said, um, you know, some of them were American citizens, which we passed to DoD securely. But there's also a lot of visa holders. You know, a lot. So, <clears throat> do you guys have money and the and the private charters? I mean, do you have the access to private charters, but you need money? I mean, what what is what's the status of your operation to get these people well, out? Our, our operation uh, right now, like the, our 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 folks were, were focused on the, the the music school because that was you know, quite frankly, it was devastating. Right. I, mean, I, I don't I don't break down hardly ever, you know. But like, like the next morning, everything everything came to me. I've lost obviously a lot of friends in Afghanistan over the years. And then I had this green beret, uh, who reached out to me, um, after that, like the morning after, and he's, he was on the ground cause there's people that are, that are there on the ground. And he said, you know, I, 
please let me know, sir, anything I can do to help these, to help them out. I, I got two daughters at home and man, that, it made me break down, man. Like I like, I just, you know, two, two, two weeks of not sleeping here and that, you know, that, that, that failure. So our, our, our small uh, apparatus is focused on uh, trying to get them out, but there are a bunch of different groups out there. There are some, you know, quite frankly, there are, there are a lot of them that don't have resources. They want to help. Lots of people want to help, you know, um, but as to what they can do and actually move the needle is, an, is a different story. There are some donors out there who have money for charter flights. The problem now is, as I told you earlier in the interview, there are a couple charter flights with people. I think there, I think there's charter flights that are on the ground now in Afghanistan and a couple of different airports, but they don't have landing permissions to go somewhere else. So, so even if they fill the plane, they have to get the permission for wheels up. That's right. And when the land someplace else that the state department is supposed to be coordinating. Well, they're shutting um, it down, right? Or the, or the, yeah, they're either coordinating or not, are not helping at all. But the, the problem with charter flights are you, you pay before it goes. Right. Like, right. So some people lost money and, and quite frankly, like we didn't, we didn't earn anything. We you know, lost, lost money, which is fine. Like I'm totally, you know, totally fine with that. It wasn't like we're trying to earn money, but how many times can you do that? <laughs> right. With a, with a $400,000 charter flight, and land well, time on the ground you're paying for too. Yeah. I mean, you saw, you saw some of the reporting where there were uh, charter flights that left empty, right? Mm -hmm. Because some, some donor had money to get a charter flight, but they didn't have the apparatus to get the passengers uh, and, or to get them through the gates of the manifest of the contacts with state or DOD. So there, there are a lot of groups that want to do a lot of stuff, but they're missing a couple pieces. Right. And uh, I haven't really seen, uh, you know, you had the pineapple express who did, uh, did good things and getting people, to the airport, right? So right. the report was a little bit off. I, I don't think they did any charter flights or actually evacuated people. I think they just got them to the airport, right? Um, which is great. That's great. It's not the same thing, right? So um, the, the need is, is is a little bit different now. When you had U.S. military flights that were at the airport, and if you were able to get those interpreters and stuff like that through the gates on a list to the airport, that's a, that's a that's an achievement in itself. But that's one piece of, of everything. And I mean, quite frankly, those guys reach out to me too. You know, so um, I don't. There's not there. There's not a that I'm aware of. There's not a overall coordinated effort. There are people on the ground that are moving people over the ground. There's some charter stuff. There's some people who are just trying to uh, connect. Um, but they're not having a lot of, from what I understand, not having a lot of help from the U.S. government. So is the biggest hurdle the U.S. government, the State Department, DOD, the White House? I mean, where does the one-stop depository of power lay at this point in time? Well, I mean, honestly, the DOD is state's gone, right? They're, they're gone now. Like that, like they're they have they can have plausible deniability at this moment. They, they're like we don't have we're not the one-stop shop because our evacuation efforts are done. They're done. Okay. They were them. It was them, obviously, before. And they were an impediment, quite frankly, to a lot of private efforts as well. They didn't, you know, they didn't want to coordinate. As I said, you couldn't get a hold of anybody in state. Now there, you know, now you have private efforts, but you 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 need a little bit of help from the government, at, like the like the landing flights, like somebody from state calling Tajikistan and saying, "Hey, here's a list of the people that are coming on this flight. They're able to go on somewhere else. They're not staying there. Let them land. Let them refuel." whatever. So you're not, you're not, you're not, from what I understand, you're not getting a lot of uh, help there from state. We heard uh, in another interview that even George Soros, the open society is looking for help to get some of their people out. Uh, like this, this affected everyone. 
uh, again, there was no coordination to get U.S. citizens out before this, right? None. So this affected everyone, uh, whether it's anybody who had anything to do with Afghanistan. Absolutely, George Soros, because I remember hearing about his his plane or something coming in and him needing help. I, I remember hearing that. This, you know, this music school, it's not like it's some conservative efforts, the Juilliard, right? Like there's, you know, there's, so it's on the left and it's on the right, you know, from government contractors and um, U.S. Institute of Peace, as I told you, we helped them. Like it's, it's, it's all over. So, so the notion that like what Blinking was saying that like everyone knew to get out, you knew for months to get out. That's utter BS. It's such BS. And, and it, and everyone, you know, when you, when you look at it through a political lens, it spans everything left and right. Uh, people who are affiliated there and somehow or another in Afghanistan were absolutely affected by this. I think it would be good to get some press out on that music school. Cause that would touch a lot of the left and the independents. So you have the New York Post did an article, the Wall Street, okay. Journal, Wall Street Journal's okay. a, um, doing a big piece on accountability. Good. Good. All right. What about what about the have the uh, there were California students on vacation? They're uh, still there. They're still over there. There's still some yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Have if, you if, spoken to any of their parents? I, I haven't. I haven't. I think uh, at some point there. Um, we got a we got a message from about about them and ICE's office and but um, honestly, our, I had no more bandwidth, no more bandwidth, you know. Mm-hmm. No, I know it's been long and hard for, for you guys because most everybody we're talking to hasn't had any sleep. I'm I just got home like uh, a day or two ago and I, I went to bed at like seven or eight o'clock and I usually never go to bed before like midnight. <laughs> but, um, mm-hmm. yeah. How can we help as journalists? I just think I think from a journal uh, a journalism standpoint, I just 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 telling the truth, man. You know, bringing bringing the truth out there. What happened? What went wrong here? How, what's still happening? How people are still being affected? And in any way you can, um, that's that's what I think your your biggest role is. And I will say, like when all this was going on, I mean, there were there were journalists that were help that were that were helpful, quite frankly, because they have some of those contacts. You know, all uh, I mean, I, I mean, you, you know, a couple of them. If I said their names, you'd know. Right. And quite frankly, when I when I got put in touch with the NSC at the White House, that came from a journalist, a prominent journalist that you know. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's the one who connected us. Um, so right. they, the journalists were were certainly helping in this because they have contacts, you know. Um, but uh, but I, I think the most important thing now, uh, from a journalistic perspective, is is just to get what really happened out there and not let the administration sort of sugarcoat this or or sort of. Uh, use words like coordination or the Taliban as opposed to, you know, like stuff, stuff like that. Now the use of language is a great tool for corruption and for minimizing um, exactly. other crimes or to, you know, minimize that it's not their fault, you know, for people in power. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to stay on the story, Scott, and, and thank you very much for your time. And please come back to us, you know, when you've got an update or you, you need to have, get a story out there. Sure. Thank you very much. Appreciate y'all's time. Appreciate what you're doing. Okay. Thanks.